Mm. I swallowed a big June bug when we were driving. I'm not really hungry. Yeah, well, I'm starving. Oh, geez, look at the butt on that. Yeah. He must work out. And off we go. Starting Strength Seminars, October 15th through the 17th with five spots left. That's in Wichita Falls. December 10th through the 12th, next one up. And then after that, February 4th through the 6th. For camps on the list, we have coaching development camps covering how to coach the squat. Two of those, one October 24th in Austin, Starting Strength Austin, and one on November 6th at Starting Strength Cincinnati. It's a couple self-sufficient lifter camps on the list covering the squat, the press, the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. Next one of those up is November 13th and then January 22nd, both those in Wichita Falls. We have a squat and deadlift camp added to the list on November 6th in Phoenix, Arizona at Weights and Plates. And then finally, a few spots left for our three-lift camp covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift in Baltimore at 5x3. That's going to be on November 7th. Starring Strength Gyms continue to grow. We just signed on Miami. And Starring Strength Cincinnati has started their pre-sale process, so make certain you head over there and fill one of their slots before they become unavailable and the price goes up. For information on different Starting Strength locations and cities, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for any more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's Friday and... Uh, it's not Friday, it's Friday. Get used to the idea. All right? We're not Californians, and we say Friday. All right? Uh, Carl, I don't know how Carl pronounces it, but we say Friday here in Texas. Pretty close. We're yeah. in Tennessee. so right, Well, we're the same people. The same Very much. People. We're here today with Carl Denninger, who is uh, the uh, person behind markettickerorg and uh, this is an important blog and lots and lots of people read it every day I've been reading it for years and uh, Carl's agreed to be on our show today and I, I really appreciate your time Carl uh, well, thank you for having me I uh, have been impressed with uh, uh, your Curl is a gigantic asshole, all right? And I just, God damn, I can't get enough of it. I really can't. I'm so tired of people being sweet and wonderful and everything's fine and petting me on the goddamn head every day. And when, when I read Carl, I know that I'm reading uh, somebody that is, that is not afraid to not pet me on the head and to tell me the truth about stuff. And people with a, an informed, highly developed opinion are always regarded as assholes. I've been regarded as an asshole for many, many decades now. And uh, those of you that have followed our stuff on startingstrength.com have always been impressed with the fact that I am a gigantic asshole. And, uh, and Carl is too, and that's why we're sitting here together talking today and uh carl again i i really appreciate your your 
your help with the podcast today. Um, do you want to let's let's plug the the podcast uh, or plug your website real quickly and and get your kind of summary of what you do over there for people that aren't familiar with it. Well, I write on market-ticker.org. It has two primary sections now. Used to be just one. But post this trusted news initiative nonsense that Google and all these other web places and regular media started, I moved off everything they don't like into slash NAD after the end of the name, which means no ads. In right. other words, they can't get in there, they can't, they can't see it, and so they also can't black blah blah. Right. It's, <laughs> so essentially, you've got two places. One is for economic discussions, for the most part, because nobody seems to care if I call those out. And the other one is for things like COVID, right. where everybody cares if I call people out. Yeah, I've got both of them saved on my, on my toolbar. Uh, they're they're they look the same but there's different content on both of these versions of the of the blog and i recommend that you read both of them because they're very informative uh how much time do you spend every day writing all of this shit carl what is i mean it's got to be um three or four hours it's close yeah it's close to a full-time job but i don't get paid for it right and it and it goes back to the 2007 time frame when the banking system got in trouble. When I started doing this, because I used to be an internet entrepreneur, it worked out really well for me. And when I detected the problem in 07, I said, well, it's time to give something back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, since then, we went through 2008 and the crash, then, of course, the Obama years, and then the Trump stuff which was bad enough but then covid came along and it all turned into a big pile of cow dung well uh, you can go ahead and say shit on my podcast if you want to no one here will be offended uh, the uh you know i think trump i really liked three and a half percent unemployment and 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 two dollar a gallon gasoline all right but i think that history will remember when this is all over with history is going to remember donald trump as having given us the vaccine and i just don't this isn't that's not going to work out well it's not going to turn out well it's certainly as hell not going to turn out well so we will uh we will discuss this in some detail today uh for those of you that are unfamiliar with uh our analysis on some of these things this is this is not a vaccine it is it's a disease with a 99.97 percent survival rate and when you have a disease with the 99.97 percent survival rate there's no need for a vaccine there's no need for anything other than just get up off of your ass and go to work and come home and if you get sick stay home like you would have anyway like you would have three years ago but now we're using COVID-19 as an excuse for the communist takeover of the world and it is I don't think I'm understating that if you if you've seen Um, Australia 
Yeah, you're, so, you're right about the countermeasures, okay, mm -hmm. and what they're doing. I would say, from the standpoint of this being nothing other than a flu, I would say no, because the risk is stratified very differently than the flu is. Right. We're all used to the flu. Right. The flu kills very old people all the time, people that statistically have six months left to live, which if you go into a nursing home, that's what the data says. Mm -hmm. And it kills children, very young children, especially right. babies. COVID basically never kills babies, never kills young people. It doesn't kill anybody under the age of less, 19. Well, really? less than 400 all of whom had things like cancer or something like that among people under 18 years old. That's the CDC's data. That's not mine. So the government itself admits that for young people, there's no risk. But for someone who is old, diabetic, obese, half a dozen other things wrong with them, 5% of the time it might get you, which is a thousand times more likely. The problem is that we said, well, we're going to do things that kill all those old people, like stuffing infected people back into nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we're going to lock everybody down and throw diapers on every kid's face and close the schools when statistically they were at zero risk. And that's stupid. It's just, it's now, now it's the, the teachers unions flexing their little biceps is what it is. Well, yeah. And, and the thing is, if you think about this, in March and April of two, two, 2020, we didn't know anything about this virus. Mm -hmm. Okay, It started killing people in a nursing home out in Washington State. Right. And, okay, it looks really horrible. You know, 30% of the people in this place are dead. And then there well, was that bad. cruise ship that... that, that oh, it was uh, Diamond Princess. Yeah. The Diamond Princess data was always just ignored and swept under the rug. And, of course. Uh, a bunch and, of and, people made excuses about it. And, and it, it just... It told you everything you needed to know, so we had to quit talking about it. Yeah, well, that was, I pointed it out as soon as it happened. You had, you know, cruise ships are full of old people. I mean, let's yeah. face it, right? I mean, that's right. who goes on cruises. So you had people where one person in a cabin got very sick and died, and the second person didn't even sneeze. Well, how's that possible if everybody can get this thing? You got two people cooped up in a 10 by 10 foot cabin. They're sleeping with each other and one of them dies and the other one doesn't get sick. Uh, uh, this isn't what you're telling us. OK, no. we're not all capable of getting killed by it. And then I had it happen with someone that's a very close friend of mine. His grandfather was dead in five days. Got it. He was dead. Right. His wife never got sick. And she's, you know, same age, same obesity profile, same things wrong with her. Same exact demographic, and she was just yeah. fine. So, and she's fine. What we've got is a disease that very selectively takes out a very few people. And yet, our response to this was to run around with our hair on fire and do the most bizarre, extraordinary measures that have ever been um ever been conducted against a virus in the history of the human race and, oh absolutely absolutely and it was but absolutely, I, I got this thing in august yeah i had it last year uh we did a seminar out in las vegas 
and uh, several of us got sick back in March of 2020. And uh, first first weekend of March in 2020, we'd been uh, in Las Vegas the couple of weeks previous, and you know, according to the incubation period that was known at the time, we all had about the same symptoms. And uh, you know, th- three or four of us got sick just all at the same time with uh, a cluster of symptoms. Not everybody had the same symptoms, but we all had the same general uh, feeling of malaise. You know, we were, everybody was tired. And we had some upper respiratory shit that, that took place. I never lost my sense of taste and smell, uh, but a couple other people did. And we, it all happened within days of each other. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I was subsequently tested but the tests, well, that's another topic entirely. The tests are such bullshit that it's just, there's, they're, they're without value. They're completely without value. Well, and, they're dangerous, negative value right. for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. One of the most important is that just like any other virus, if you've had it, you're presumptively immune. You're safe. Yes. Okay. So if you get it and recover, well, okay. I, I had a pretty rough ride. But I know that it was COVID because I had antibody tests that I had sourced previously. I'd been running them on myself every three months or so. They'd all been negative. Now all of a sudden it's positive. Okay, right. that was COVID. Right. I had it. I it, I know I had it. And you have antibodies but, for it. You can't get it again. Because I can't get it again. Eighth grade science. But right? if you tell somebody they had the virus because they tested positive, and then you don't follow up with an antibody test and you lied. Now they run around thinking they're safe and they're not. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of things about this have been very dangerous. A lot of things. Um, the, the danger in, in, in terms of, at least my perception of this thing, the danger is not from the disease because we're all going to die. Everybody dies. Sometimes you get sick. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, you get better. Sometimes you get sick and you die. A few people always do that. This has been the case for the past 500,000 years. And, uh, you know, one of the good things now is that when you get sick, and you become, uh, in, you, you have to stop doing what you're doing and lay down. You don't get eaten by hyenas like right. you used to. But, but, so we're in a very good position here to deal with this stuff. We've got, we have the ability to rest in bed. We have the ability to protect ourselves from, from dehydration and all this other stuff that, that primitive people would not. So we're in a vast we're in a, 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 a much better position to deal with this than we would have been in antiquity. Uh, we even have effective treatments for it. Now, isn't that interesting? We have effective treatments for it, but we can't talk about those. And uh, Oh, I used them. I, yeah, I did, too. <laughs> I did, too. I wish I'd had ivermectin. That's the word, ivermectin. I wish we'd had it. Uh, known more about it back in March of 2020, but I didn't figure out about ivermectin until April, and I started writing about it on right. our on my 
website in April of 2020. Uh, yeah, my, there was my a, partner there was a here, Steph Bradford, is uh, is a pharmacologist, and she's the one yeah. that uh, that first told us about the antiviral properties of ivermectin. Ivermectin is one of the the miracle drugs of the 20th century. It has saved millions and millions of lives. It is a, it is the most important drug in sub-Saharan Africa. Billions of doses have been safely administered to human beings for 40 years. And yep. here we have to listen to the media tell us that it's a horse wormer. Well, this, it's, a, it's a load of, yeah, it's a load of crap. It's I mean, such an insult to the intelligence of normal human beings. It's just, you know. One of the things that gets me about that, where it came to my notice, was a doctor in Florida who was in a large practice with admitting privileges. He started using it in his patients in April. He had a zero death rate. Mm-hmm. Everybody else in the same hospital <clears throat> is putting people in the hospital and they're dying. Right. Okay, we got you doing something and nobody else is doing it, and it's making a huge difference. I think that says something. That's data. Hey, you know what? That's data. You know, I, I'm so tired of this idiocy that the, the the scientific community, you know, if it's not if it's not peer reviewed, it's not data. God almighty, that's the most in so I, I oh shit the, yeah, a million have you heard this Carl a million anecdotes is still not data that is, well, is it, that is that is patently false you're you're right but you have to balance based upon potential harms yes the thing is with ivermectin there aren't it's any adverse harms. event rate is a hundred times less than Tylenol. Yes, the okay. LD fifty so, of ivermectin, and we looked this up because it's terribly important. The LD fifty of ivermectin is fifteen milligrams per kilo of body weight. Yeah, you'd have to take a whole bottle of the liquid and drink it. Yes, you'd have to take about five tubes of the paste warmer. Yeah, before and, and nobody does that. And how many people? This is also very important. How many people in the history of the drug, the 40-year history of the use of the drug in humans, have died of, ty- of, of circumstances that were uh, associated with ivermectin? And the total is 20. Yeah, most and of them from the parasites that they That's had. exactly right. right. I, the vast majority of them became toxic with the death of a huge, giant parasite load and died of the toxicity of the of, of the of the dying parasites not the ivermectin itself and yeah there's a one there's a one in a million chance that you have a genetic mutation that makes it dangerous right but because I you're mean, not a you collie it, breed dog right but if you give it to 300 million people you're going to have what a couple hundred people that are going to get in trouble right well but yeah. it's nothing no it's it is it's absolutely nothing all right but suddenly we've had our uh, our uh, risk benefit analysis skewed in some weird direction just for this for this one thing, you know the speed limit on the highway is not five miles an hour. True, you know 
it was fine during the Clinton administration to raise it from 55 back to whatever the states wanted to raise it to. That was fine. All right. D- despite the fact that we have absolute convincing data that every five miles an hour, the speed limit goes up, uh, the death rate goes up by a certain amount uh, associated with that increase in speed. But that's fine because we have balanced that risk with the benefit. We've done a risk-benefit analysis, and uh, for some reason, we're not allowed to do that with ivermectin. And it's so bizarre that this is the case. You can't type the word ivermectin into YouTube's comments and have it remain up. Yeah. You're not allowed to discuss it. Well, you do it on Twitter. You'll get you'll get it. You'll get thrown in jail for right forty eight hours or seven days or whatever. Right. That's why I quit using Twitter about nine months ago. I haven't been on Facebook or Twitter in nine months. I'm not going to play this bullshit game with these people, and uh, it is uh, it, it it just boggles the mind that people are willing to allow this to be done to them. I don't, I just, this is a strange time, Carl. Well, I think there's, you know, human behavior is, is disappointing in so many ways, isn't it? Well, fear, fear sells. Okay. Yes. I mean, if you look at 1918, when the flu pandemic, swine flu, a huge number of people killed themselves by ODing on aspirin. Now that sounds crazy but it happened yes most of the people who died from during that pandemic died from secondary bacterial infections in their lungs we did not have antibiotics today none of those people would die right but then uh you either beat it or it killed you and that you know that's how it works today we have a a virus that most of the time if it comes after you gets you with coagulation problems that are throughout your body, but mainly in the lungs. We've known how to deal with that problem for 40 years. And we've known how to deal with secondary bacterial infections for the same 40 years. And yet, if you go into the hospital, all they do is stuff you full of remdesivir, which (laughs) about 10, 15, 20% of the time kills your kidneys. Yes. And now your lungs fill up with fluid and you die. Right. Well, that's not the virus that killed you. No, that's the treatment, <laughs> quote that's unquote, the drug. that right. killed you. And, yeah. and that's what we're doing. We have, in my county, from July 1st to September 16th, our, our state government puts out county-by-county county case hospitalization death numbers. Our, we have one local hospital in our county. of the people who were admitted for COVID from from July 1st forward went home in a box. 89%. Nine out of 10. It's almost as though hospital admission is what kills you. Um, I would say so. But if you go to the hospital, you're going to die. So when I got COVID, I did absolutely everything in my power to not go to the hospital because I knew what was going to happen. Right. Yeah. They're going to intubate you and uh, put, they're going to put you on a ventilator where you, and, and suppress your cough 
so that you can't clear your lungs and right. and you die. Well, and they're going to stuff you full of a drug that kills your kidneys, and then right. you're done. Just but, at, who who manufactures remdesivir? Uh, I think that's Gilead. It's a failed, so it is now a four-time failed loser. It was first trialed against RSV and hepatitis C. Mm -hmm. It failed trials for safety. <clears throat> then it was mm -hmm. tried against Ebola. It failed there. Now they're using it for COVID. <laughs> Boy, you have to be a pretty shitty drug to fail safety trials against Ebola. <laughs> No, well, it don't also you. didn't work. Don't you? I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> it's risk-reward, right? I mean, if it yeah. doesn't save anybody, but it kills some people, well, that's a zero. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, and all of those antivirals, acyclovir, val-acyclovir, and, and all, of the, all of the things that were designed for use against herpes simplex, they're all shitty. None of them work. None of them do a damn thing. And this is a related drug, and it doesn't do a goddamn thing. Uh, with respect to the 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 treatment option it's applied for and yeah, screw you and, up yeah. and it does carry a significant i've heard 20 percent of the patients that are treated with this for the full course uh going to kidney failure now well, some of it's kidney but it also causes some heart attacks too mm-hmm yeah, it's a so shitty it's medication. The Those of you watching, don't let them give you remdesivir. Now, now we told you that, and it's your responsibility to say no. All right. So, I mean, in terms of all of the worthless shit that we have seen applied recently, uh, masks. Uh, you know. Ignoring the fact that obesity is is probably the most significant comorbidity here. Um, you know, these these idiotic vaccines that that in certain demographics kill more people than they than they protect. How do we get into a position where we are willing to allow ourselves to be subjected to this kind of of insanity i mean who masks became useful for one reason and one reason only they were a visible sign of your willingness to obey and that's all yeah well i mean i i have n95s around here because i cut fiberglass i grind concrete sometimes i do things that make particles and dust that i'd rather not have down in my lungs which makes perfect sense i mean which, when you you know uh, right uh, th that's but what they're on for the other hand right? against a virus goes right through right it doesn't do a damn thing and we've known that for 40 years there was a study done in 1981 in england in operating rooms where they took two operating rooms one all the surgeons and the nurses and everybody else wore masks like everybody does. Mm -hmm. And the other one, they did not. Now, they expected that within a couple of weeks, they were going to see a lot more infections in the ones where people weren't wearing them, and they'd have to terminate the experiment. Right. They actually ran it for three months because there were less infections in the unmasked rooms. Well, sometimes when we do actual studies, <laughs> we discover things we didn't know were going to be discovered. 
<laughs> well, uh, this was right? 1981. You can still find it if you Google Neil or mask study. It's a scan of a piece of paper because, you know, that's how they did things. Then right. they printed things in, on paper in medical journals. Sure. But you can actually read it and it's there. Well, it's in, in, but it's, this is not, none of this has ever really been about this disease. No. None of this has been about the disease. Certainly not the masks. The disease uh, was an excuse for putting masks on people. We know the masks don't work. We know damn good and well that the masks don't work. The virus goes through the mask. Oh, but wait, wait, we're intercepting the droplets. No, no, we're not. No, we're, we're not intercepting the droplets. And you can, you can go on and on and on and debate the minutia of uh, mask mechanics if you want to, but just remember, boys and girls, 99.97% survival rate. It doesn't matter what the mask does. You're wearing the mask because you don't want to be perceived as an asshole. Now, isn't that that's right? It. Yeah. That's, that's why you're wearing the mask. Because someone in a, that you perceive to be an authority over you has told you that you either should wear the mask or you must wear the mask. So you do it so that you're not being perceived as an asshole because there's something about human beings that is extremely averse to being perceived as an asshole. And th that behavior has gotten much more pronounced over the past several decades. Um, you know, if you, if you take a society and you make obedience uh, a primary virtue, then you end up with a very compliant, very obedient society because, you know, the assholes can't find mates, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, well, but the other thing that you do is you concentrate the alleged intelligence. When I say alleged, because most of these people are doing this are really pretty stupid. Yes. But if you take the breadth of intelligence <laughs> in society and, and destroy it, then what happens to supply chains? What happens to innovation? What happens over time? It looks like you get away with it for a while. Now we have these overlords that are the smartest people in the world. But what has happened, you know, just, just look around the world. Look at the technical innovation that happened in America from 1800 after, after 1789. Okay, go forward. Through the 1920s until the Depression started with all the, oh, we have to control everything games. Mm -hmm. Look at the look at the innovation: electric lights, distribution of electrical power, telephones, telegraphs, railroads, uh, automobiles. Okay, kept going and going and going. Um, we go, you know, we go into the 1990s. What do we have? We have the internet, mm -hmm. which came originally from military research. I was one of the people that commercialized it, and. What has it turned into now? You stare at a screen all day. It used to be a way to connect people. Right. Now it's a way, oh, look at how cute I am. Look at my cat. It, it, now it's a way to not connect with people. 
So and, weird. And on top of that, all all the data that they collect and use to screw you, which you never see, but they do. And that's that's the whole point of all this data collection because you will go online to go buy something and you'll buy you'll pay three dollars more than somebody else because their algorithm says you'll pay the three dollars. <laughs> and it shows up in places like your car insurance, mm-hmm. your homeowner's insurance, uh, what you pay on Amazon. Okay. I mean, it, what ads show up from here and there. You know, we're having this conversation. I bet if I grab my phone and I, I look at something on Google, all of a sudden there'll be some ad talking about something that we discussed. Yes. Yeah, that's annoying, but it happens to everybody. Well, it, as long as it doesn't disadvantage you, nobody cares. Right. But it does. Right. That's how they make their money. <laughs> yes, they're using you. You're not using them. Well, you, you have if to you keep can't that figure in out. Well, if you can't figure out what's being sold, you're being sold. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Yes. Facebook does not. You don't use Facebook. Facebook uses you. Yeah. You you need to you need to think about that when you log on to Facebook. Uh, yeah. Oh God Almighty! What you know? A lot of this situation we're in is directly traceable to the use of the PCR test to diagnose a case. Now, everybody in in medicine understands what a case actually is, don't they? Well, I would hope so. But uh, now a case is a positive PCR test. Now, I was fortunate enough to get to hang around with Carrie Mullis for a whole weekend about 13 years ago. Yeah, so you get the whole thing. What a fascinating guy he was. He was a nut. Just a fun crazy man just so intelligent and so matter of fact and uh uh just a regular guy who happened to be a lot smarter than everybody else and uh uh, he was a lot of fun to talk to and i hugged his time we had him in for a conference here in wichita falls and uh sponsored him in and got to go to the airport and pick him up and got to take him back to the airport and i spent the whole time talking to him uh his lovely wife was with him, and we just had it. We had a great time the whole weekend. And uh, if Carrie Mullis thinks, if Carrie Mullis tells you that the test that he invented is absolutely worthless at a cycle threshold of over twenty-five for diagnosing and detecting basically any biological entity, then you'd better listen to him. Yeah, he invented the thing. He invented the thing. He knows the limitations of the thing. He knows exactly how it works. And the LVN that's administering this test to you has no uh, has no right to an opinion about it. And Well, it gets, it, it gets better. He didn't invent it as a test. No. He invented it as a way to create and multiply genetic material for use in laboratories right that's why he came up with it yes that was it the, was perverted the into a test right it yeah. was it was never intended to test anything and if you keep amplifying the same thing over and over again all you're looking for is a little sequence of a piece of of rna 
that that doesn't indicate anything except that there is a piece of RNA in there. Now, where did it come from? The Good test question. is incapable of telling you that. Well, uh, maybe you know. it came from your nose, or maybe it was on the fingers of the guy who put it in the machine. Yes. It could have been in the machine already. You don't yeah. know. And Kerry was emphatic about the use of this technology to detect viral diseases. That's not what it does. But right. in this case, God damn, it was useful, wasn't it? Well, you know? it, yeah, it it turns on the fear megaphone. Yes. Yes, it There's does. a billion people that you know, your, your next door neighbor is going to kill you. Right. Well. Right. Tyranny is based on fear. Tyranny is always based on fear. If you're going to control a, a large group of people uh, as an authoritarian dictator, you first have to make them afraid of something. Yep. And it's never been done otherwise. There's always been a scapegoat. There's always been something to be afraid of because people will not turn over absolute control of their daily existence unless they're afraid not to. And that's what we have seen. That's what we have seen. You walk into a grocery store and 95% of the people in the store are wearing masks because they're afraid of you. And... 95% of the people that got the vaccination, got the jab, were afraid not to. Well, you know, I have somebody I know here who got COVID in the fall, okay? Got it recovered. He has mm -hmm. a heart condition. As soon as he could get the jab, he shows up at the bar with a Band-Aid on his arm, right? And, and he'd already had the I, damn thing. Well, right, and he walks in and I said... What are you doing? I said, you're at zero risk. Well, not only that, you're greatly elevated risk of hard side effects from the jab, and you have a heart condition. If it hits you, it may kill you. Right. You've already had the disease. Are you nuts? Yeah. Did you hear Biden the other day in his little speech say that we have to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated, Carl. Well, yeah, he admitted it doesn't work. My God! <laughs> and people, you just sit there and listen to the rest of the speech like anything he says makes any sense at all. What in the hell have we become here? Well, when I heard that, I just started I just, cracking uh, up because I'm like, uh, "Hello? <laughs> Do you understand what you just said? You don't even know what you just said." My yeah. God, how do you how do you get people this stupid? How do you transform a huge giant group of people from uh, what we thought four years ago were kind of normal human beings into these fucking idiots? It's just it's just bizarre to me that here we have what we've essentially seen over the past year and a half is that we live amongst a bunch of fucking idiots. And we just didn't know it till now. Yeah. It, well, you know, the yeah. people when Biden first said that were like, oh, it's, you know, it's Biden. He's a demented old man. He's a nut job. The next day, Harris comes out and says the same thing. Yes. So this is policy. Right. It's not a crazed old man right. that can't think. No, that's the narrative. This is a carefully yeah. crafted narrative because they want you to get the shot. They desperately oh, want you to get the yeah. shot. Yeah. 
They well, want everybody no. to get the shot. Well, no, I had the disease. Go to hell. You know, and, and all of the data are showing us at this point that uh, the shot does not prevent the disease. Right. Yet everybody well, still has to have it. Well, look at Israel. And, and, look and at actually, Israel. Even yes. worse. Look at Scotland. Okay, now this is a data set that people are not paying a lot of attention to yet, but they will be. Are they more vaccinated than the Israelis? They're basically in the same situation, but they've seen the crossover where on a population basis, more of the people that have gotten a jab are getting seriously ill and ending up in the hospital than the people who didn't. Right. Well, that's the problem because they give you the matched cohorts on age and a lot of the Israeli data, when they got close to that, they started censoring it. Right. I wonder what Iceland is showing. They're also a highly vaccinated uh, population. You know, I haven't looked at them lately. So it's and the problem is if all you have is a gross number, so they mm -hmm. aggregate everything together. Mm -hmm. There's too many confounders in there for you to be able to figure it out. It's like here in the United States, we have this problem. They won't test you unless you're in the hospital if you've been vaccinated. But if you haven't, they'll shove swabs up your nose. Mm -hmm. So the data is skewed. Yes. And then the other problem you run into is that, okay, if there's an epidemic going on, I am vaccinated when you stick the needle in my arm, not two weeks later, now, because you're the one that told me to do it when the disease is going around. Mm -hmm. So if it increases my risk for some period of time, then I took an increased risk right. instead of getting a benefit. And yet they are not liable. No, and, and they don't count that. If I took the jab and a week later got COVID and ended up dead, they call me an unvaccinated death. Because well, no, it, was, it was only two weeks. It wasn't, it wasn't yet two enough. weeks, so you weren't vaccinated. So I wasn't vaccinated. Yes. Right. Yes, we have seen since this thing began uh, an incredible amount of dishonesty with respect to the data. An incredible yeah. amount. And this is why I say this. All all of this shit goes back to PCR testing. Yeah. If if you are diagnosed as a if you're determined to be a case because of a positive PCR test at forty five cycles, this is this thing is designed to generate the data they want to make everybody afraid. And it's yeah, been well, that you, way for a year and a what, half. They won't tell you what the cycle threshold is where your sample came back positive. They just say it's positive. Right. So, and, and in Florida, where the governor issued an executive order eight, nine months ago to demand the disclosure with positive results of where the CT was, where they turned, not one lab has complied with that. Not one. <laughs> and has he done anything to any of those labs? Has he pulled their business licenses? Is it, or was it just BS? You covered this last week. The Uttar Pradesh yes. state in India. And of course, no one's talking about this. Of course, this, is, this has been blacked out. It's the most amazing goddamn thing. It's just absolutely stunning what has happened 
in Uttar Pradesh. And uh, my apologies to our um, Hindu friends if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But what they have essentially done is zeroed their COVID-19 death rate with the use yep. of ivermectin. Well, they, not just – so they did – what I said we should do the first week of December of 2020. What I said was, if you think you have it, you haven't been tested yet, but you go to get tested. Mm -hmm. You think you're sick. We give you a course of ivermectin plus one for everyone in your house. Right. And the reason is if it cuts off the forward transmission, the epidemic dies. Right. That's the whole point. It's right. not treat you. It's stop the next person from getting it. Because of its very, very strong prophylactic effect. But it, well, it works about 80% of the time. Yes. And so if if you have five people in the house and you stop four of the five from getting it, well. You now just the, cut your vectors down by 80%. Well, if I go from a transmission rate of 1.5 to a transmission rate of 0.4 within two weeks it's over right and that that's what they did it which is and and as far as i know they are the only government entity in the world that has done that and look at the data look what has happened in Uttar Pradesh, it is the no, the numbers are the numbers. Yes, that I'm sorry, and, that's and data. A, okay. Well, here's the thing: it's not a small group of people. We're talking 200 million. Yes, this is a very large study. Now, isn't it? <laughs> this is at the end of 221 million people. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know what I don't know what you want. You know what do you want? You've got. 221 million people in your petri dish what the hell else do you want this is what the intervention was and this is what happened so what do you want you want us to stop talking about that now why why would that be well and it costs nothing no it's off patent it's a cheap generic medication it costs about a quarter yeah you know but Yet you don't want us talking about this. Now this well, makes me. I can uh, buy enough for. I can buy enough to treat a twelve hundred pound horse for about six bucks. Yeah. So. And I've you know I've got a bunch, I've got a bunch of that. I've got I've got the shit all over the place. You know we bought this a year ago. Yeah. And bought a whole bunch of it a year ago, just for the hell of it, just just to have it. Well, I bought and, it when I became aware of it in the event that I was going to need it. Right. And ultimately I did. Okay. And yeah, that's, and that's what that's because you're bright enough to understand that a, it might work, but more importantly, B, if it doesn't work, what's the downside? It's not going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt you. You know, right. this is, this is something that comes up over here all the time with testosterone replacement therapy uh you know guys our age sometimes get you know what you would call mild depression all right and you know a lot of guys with mild depression dwell on it and they think they need to go to they think they need some help from the medical community so they go to the they go to their primary care physician who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing and he sends you to 
a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist does not hesitate to put you on an SSRI. Right. He wants to give you Prozac. He wants you on Prozac. He thinks everybody ought to be on Prozac. So he writes you a prescription for Prozac. When most of the time, and by most I mean 95% of the people that I've had anything to do with with respect to this thing go on testosterone, and within 72 hours, every bit of their depressive symptoms are alleviated 95% of the time, 72 hours later. Now, what is the downside? Well, there isn't one. Well, you yeah, wake so, up with morning wood, and you're, <laughs> but you're still depressed. You know, I, I that, that this makes absolutely no sense. And I've I've spoken with psychiatrists about this, and they all tell me the same goddamn thing that everybody in the medical community always relies on. Well, you know, there aren't any studies that demonstrate that that is the case. I, it doesn't matter whether there are any studies. What's the downside to just doing it? There isn't a downside. The only downside is that the manufacturer of Prozac now loses a customer. That's the downside. Okay. And here we are in the same situation. All right. The manufacturer of remdesivir, the manufacturer of the vaccines. Well, the monoclonal antibodies, too. They're expensive as hell. They're pointless. They're absolutely pointless. If you've got ivermectin, why do you need monoclonal antibodies? They're hideously expensive, and they don't work nearly as well. But they make somebody a hell of a lot more money than ivermectin does. And I, God damn, Carl, I'm sorry to be so cynical, but these people are psychopaths. They are absolutely psychopaths. They don't care who dies and how many people die. They only care about their agenda and they will say anything to forward their agenda. They have absolutely no empathy and that makes them diagnosable as, as sociopaths, psychopaths. Well, they're monsters. They are. Let, here's a they piece are. of information you may not have. Early on in this thing, April, May, I'll have to look for the exact date but it was before the summer of 2020. There was a clinical trial registered at clinicaltrials.gov, which is where all those things get put into the computer. For ivermectin plus hydroxychloroquine in ambulatory, immediately diagnosed COVID patients. Right. It was never subscribed, never enrolled, and never run. <laughs> this is 2021 or 2020. It's still there. Which in year the was this? Was this this year or 2020? Did you? No, vote? 2020. 2020. That long ago. See, and it was never run. We started talking about it in April of 2020. Uh, Steph may have picked up on here's that. Here's the thing: nobody knows if the two of them together are synergetic. They might be. Might they very might well even be better than one or the other. Right. But we never tested it. Now, why not? Oh, well, gee, because why they not? didn't make any money with vaccines. Because, uh, you know, and goddamn, does that make us assholes? Does that make us cynical assholes? You know, I don't know what else to be but a cynical asshole 
in the face of this kind of thing. You know, you've got the data is right there. You can keep repeating over and over again that ivermectin is just a horse wormer, which is exactly the same thing as saying that oatmeal is just horse food. Horse food. It's only horse food. Why would you eat oatmeal in the morning? It's horse food. You know, it's the same goddamn thing. So you just repeat this over and over, despite the fact that, well, despite all the facts, right? And if you say it enough times, as Mr. Goebbels taught us many, many years ago, it becomes the truth. If you say it over and over and over and over. It's only well, a horse wormer. Why would you take that shit? It's just a horse wormer. You want you nay, nay, brrr, nay. You want to be a horse? You know, and stupid people think, well, I guess you're right. Well, like a horse-sized yeah. wiener. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Maybe it gives me one. I'm worth. It's worth a try if for no other reason, right? So, so you've got uh, you, you've got people running around actively working against a very, very proven, very, very effective treatment for this disease that really didn't kill anybody anyway. Yet we are remodeling society based on the assumption. That it kills everybody. The public perception, this is interesting, the public perception of how many people go in the hospital when they test positive for COVID. You've seen all that. that. Rasmussen ran a poll on it, and they said that among Democrats, they figured it was basically a coin toss, about half. And even among Republicans, that it was about 20%. That's crazy. It's absolute that's, that's lunacy. smallpox numbers for crying right. out loud. Right. It is. And this thing, I mean, here's the CDC's data. Look at the CDC numbers, boys and girls. All demographics average together 99.97% survival rate. The oldest cohort, those people over 70, have a that have a survival rate of 94.1%. This is old people. Right, 5%. But, okay, gets better. Look at the Social Security data and the odds of you surviving a year from all causes. Because dead is dead, right? It doesn't matter why. Right. So you can go to Social Security's website, and they have a table for whatever age you are that will tell you exactly what the actuarial odds are that you're going to die this year. And when you get up into this upper 70s and 80s, um, those numbers that you're not going to make it to the next time around the sun start to get up there and get pretty meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, it, it's yeah. kind of a it's kind of an asymptotic curve, like so many things are. You know, you what what is what have the life insurance companies done just out of curiosity? You know, these guys are real sharp about numbers and money and shit. Right. Well, it's because they don't like to lose money. No, they don't like to lose money. Dan Pena was was speaking with a to a a group of people and and a a woman in the audience stood up and asked him about why he didn't care about her children and why global warming was going to kill her children. And he, he, uh, he asked her to sit down and shut up, and she wouldn't do it. And, and uh, 
his his uh, take on this was that uh, you could still get an insurance policy for a for a new building that you wanted to build on the beach in Florida. Right. And uh, you know that's that's very interesting, isn't it? Insurance companies well, are not stupid. They don't like well, yeah, to lose I mean, money. I lived, well, I lived on the water in Florida for 20 years. We had a hurricane. Ivan came through and kicked our butt pretty good. We didn't get flooded. Our house was still there. But there was always the risk. And if the water was going to go up by five feet, that place would have been worthless. Yes. Absolutely worthless. Because every storm that came would flood the blankety blanket. I mean, it'd be done. So um, why was I able to buy homeowner's insurance? But I was. They knew something, didn't they? Oh, uh, maybe. I mean, it's like Social Security. <laughs> I, I just pulled the table up while we're talking. If you're 75 years old, there's a 3.5%. You're not going to make 76. Right. 3.5% chance. As a so, man. So what is the life, ins- what have the life insurance companies done with respect to COVID-19? Nothing. 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 I've looked at the... There's been no change in base rates all the way across the board. Well, guess what? If this thing's going to kill everybody, tell me why it's not twice as expensive to buy a hundred grand worth of life insurance. Fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it fascinating? Do those guys like losing money? No, no, they're they're pretty good at not losing money. Insurance companies are real good at at not paying claims. That's their basic. They they want to, they want to take in premiums and not pay claims. That's the business model of the insurance industry. Yeah. And if they haven't increased your premiums, there's a reason. <laughs> I you know I there's so many lines of analysis here that this is all complete bullshit that it's it just stunning. Right, but I, I thought I think the biggest one is is just simply there, which you just brought up, that I can still buy a life insurance policy, and it didn't get double rated tomorrow mm-hmm. because I'm 58. Okay, so I'm in that over 50. COVID's really going to get you group. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not fat, and I'm not diabetic, and I don't have high blood pressure. So I don't have all those other risks, but they say that just age. Okay, well, well, that's the data, right? Well, but this is what this actuaries is what do all but, day. Well, it's, right, but but what they do all day is look at this data, and what they've said is it doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the guys that get paid to analyze the data, and and the data specifically about their employer not losing a bunch of money right have told us this is bullshit well and it's not just lose a bunch of money because life insurance policies are long-term bets because when you buy one even if it's a term policy it's a 10-year deal right Mm -hmm. i mean you know you you pay this much money for 10 you know every year for the next 10 years if they're wrong it'll bankrupt them right 
This is why the policies get more expensive as you get older, okay? Yeah. It's cheap to buy life insurance when you're 40. It's terribly expensive to buy life insurance when you're 75. But this event has not affected life insurance rates. Hasn't changed the numbers. No. So, what? This is so frustrating to have to get up every day and read one more example of how everybody in the whole fucking world is stupid. It's just so frustrating and disappointing that here we are. And I'm not particularly intelligent, you know. I'm, you know, I'm of above average intelligence, but I'm, good God, people, do you not see what's happening to you and you're letting it occur? You know, and I'll tell you another thing that's happened as a result of all of this shit that nobody wants to think about right now. You walk in to the grocery store, you walk into Walmart, and there are empty shelves, right? Just here and there. Things are not available. Right. What have we done with all of this uh, perturbation to our, uh, our global economy here? In terms of supply chain stuff. Nobody thinks about this. I got a buddy in the manufacturing business. He can't get aluminum. Aluminum. A basic commodity in the manufacturing industry. He can't get stainless steel. He can't get instruments. He can't get all that. He's been, when he finds some of these commodities, he's forced to buy them in huge amounts just to rat hole them so he can continue to manufacture. This is a, this kind of economic perturbation you're quite familiar with because of what you do. Tell us what you think is going on and tell us what you think the long-term ramifications of this are. Well, let me give you just a quick example. I have a lawnmower like most people do, right? Because I got grass to cut. Mm-hmm. It likes to eat the bearings in the height adjusters every two three years i have to buy a new set they're 20 bucks they're cheap i've been trying to get replacements for that lawnmower now for nine months they're unicorns they're not available i've managed i've managed to jury rig enough that i can still cut the grass but eventually they're going to completely disintegrate and where are the parts? A there commonly are... available item, an inexpensive, yeah. commonly available item is now gone. Fifteen, $15 is what these usually cost. And they're available everywhere. Right. And I, and I can't get them anywhere in the United States. They're not available, period. The, so there are Class 8 trucks, which, of course, is that's the semi-cab part that hauls the trailers. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds of those sitting in dealer lots right now because they need $10 sensors without which they will not run, can't start them, and they can't get the parts. These are things like a crankshaft sensor. It's a $20 part. It takes 15 minutes to change it. But without it, won't it, you get no fuel ignition. No fuel goes in, doesn't run. All right? This, this stuff is going on all over the place. Ford, for quite a long time, although I understand they're gone now, uh, couldn't get one of the chips that went into the PCM 
machines, which is the computer that controls the engine. They were producing these trucks and parking them in fields because they wouldn't start. They don't have an engine computer. The entire rest of the truck is there, but there's a connector where that plugs into and the computer's not there because it's missing a chip. This kind of stuff, we did this to ourselves. Over the last 30 years, we have sent all this manufacturing over to China, Taiwan, TSMC, which is Taiwan Semiconductor, is the source of a huge number of these commodity chips. Not the, not the high dollar things, they're like microprocessors that go in computer boards and things like that. You know, that's Intel, that's AMD or ARM, ARM Holdings. No, no, this is the average everyday stuff that has to be there for all those other things to work. Right. Op amps, sensors, this sort of thing. We, we can't get them today, and part of the reason is the supply chain. There's dozens of container ships that are sitting off the port of Los Angeles because there's no transport capability to take the containers off the ship put them on a truck or a train, and get them where they need to go. Interesting how complex relationships can get. Oh, uh, when, when the lockdown was going on, I had a friend of mine. He's an endodontist. So he's the guy you go to for root canals. Right. Okay? He smelled it coming and bought 12 months worth of the files and the little things that you need to do those. Right. Well, the lockdown came, they shut down the powdered metal plant. With no powdered metal, you can't get those things made. Right. They have to have that in order to make those instruments. And they're one-time use because they get fouled with your bodily stuff right. when they're used. So they're using them once and throw them away. He had a 12-month supply. But there were other people, that if you needed a root canal, you couldn't get it done. Right. See, so, I mean, it, people think they know how this stuff plugs together. The, you can't figure it out. There are too many variables. Yeah. This is an extremely multivariate system, and the more variables there are in a system, the less you are, the more unlikely you are to be able to accurately predict what a perturbation to that system is going to do, just like physiology. There are I'll too give, many variables. I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you another one. I have a friend of mine that's in the packaging business. Okay, they have taken six or seven increases in things as basic as scotch tape, the big ones, the big packing rolls, the plastic film that's used to palletize things, to wrap, can't get it. And so you want to ship something from here to there. How do you do it if you can't strap it to the pallet? <laughs> and who would ever have thought, you know? Who would ever have thought, you know, I drive by the Ford dealership here on my way into town every day and it's an asphalt dealership. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's, there's no, there's no cars. There's, there's no trucks. There's nothing there. They got about 15 vehicles on the lot. Now that's just one tiny example. And we've discussed several here, but throughout the global economy, this thing repeated over and over produces so much volatility that it's it's impossible to 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 uh, predict what is going to happen over the next six months, over the next two years, over the next thirty years. 
What has this done to us? What is what is the use of the PCR test for COVID nineteen done to the world's economy? Just well, in a it's nutshell, crippled it. It, it's, it's crippled it. It's crippled it in ways we, that we don't even know yet. No, but we set this up over the space of decades. Yes, we should be producing those chips in this country. Right. We should be making plastic wrap in this country. We should be making tape in this country. All these things here because we consume them here. And the reason we don't do that is because in the United States, if you want to do something that has a chemical process or produces some kind of waste, it's expensive because you can't just throw the stuff on the ground when you're done or stick it in the air. Like they can Over in China, China, they don't give a damn. And so that's what they do. And in large quantities, it's cheaper. I mean, who knew prior to last year that 98% of the antibiotics that are sold in the United States were manufactured in China? Nobody even knew in that. India. It didn't in occur India. to me to even think about it. But well, it's not just the antibiotics. It's the precursor chemicals that are used to make them. Right. But see, the thing is, that didn't used to be true. I knew about it several years ago. I've been screaming about it for a decade. What are we doing? Right. Well, we, we set ourselves up for this. Yeah. You know, we set yeah. ourselves up. And I say we, but really, who do I mean when I say we? Well, you, you know, everybody loves... Let's go on Amazon. Let's find whatever it is we want. We always, that, you know, the watch on my wrist, it's $20 less expensive because we did this. Mm -hmm. The computer that I'm talking to you on, this microphone, assembled in China. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's an American company, but where was it assembled, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it was designed here, but, okay. Why? Because you have slave labor, it's less expensive. Same thing with all clothing manufacturers. We used to, uh, textiles, America was the king of textiles, the southern part of the United States. There's not a single textile factory left in the U.S. It's all overseas. It's in Bangladesh. It's in Vietnam. Why? Because you have sweatshops and people don't want to pay what it costs for labor in the United States. And sewing mm -hmm. pants together takes people cheaper in malaysia right and that's all it is and that's how it happened but we have no resiliency if anything breaks between those two points you get nothing and here we are yep. and people i don't think people realize this yet i don't think that there is any uh widespread appreciation for the for the barrel of shit we have immersed ourselves in oh I, let me, I, I, people don't know oh no here's a good here's a really good one there's a company in texas since you're in texas okay that produces n95s for healthcare workers right when the swine flu threat was coming when obama was in office it never materialized but there was a threat that we were going to have a massive h1n1 outbreak and all this they put on extra equipment, extra shifts. They expanded their capacity. They hired people. 
The hospitals bought the stuff, and as soon as the threat was over, they turned around and sent all the orders back over to China. The guy who owns the factory nearly went bankrupt because he had put all this equipment in and expanded his facility, and all of a sudden he's got no orders. Right. Okay? So do you think he's going to do that again? And now we get COVID, and the hospitals don't have any N95s. And, oh, by the way, China's not going to send us any because they're using them over there. All right. And his factory, he's like, I'm not doing that again. You screwed me the last time. This is the, exactly what happened in the ammunition manufacturing industry. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Well, they, they tooled up during the yeah. Obama administration. Right. Early in the Obama <laughs> administration because they thought, you know, he's going he's gonna to wreak havoc with our business. He's going to hose us. He's yeah. going to hose us, and everybody's going to hoard ammunition. So they tooled up. And... Uh, and uh, spent millions and millions of dollars on manufacturing equipment to ramp up their their ability to produce ammunition at very, very high rates. And then it didn't happen. And now they're right. standing around with a note to pay and right. and no, nothing going out the door in anywhere close to the to the to the amounts that they thought were going to happen. Now, this thing happens a couple of years ago. And. uh Biden gets elected, and and uh, all this chaos starts, and everybody, of course, wants to stock up and have a supply of ammunition in the house. And the ammunition manufacturers just said, "No, we're not, we're doing not, that again. We're not going to do this again." Right? You know, so everybody sold out. It's it's not anything other than that. You know, and they right. and they just you know. Everybody calmed down. It's just it, it was just the demand exceeded supply, and supply was going to be damned if it ramped up this time because of what happened to them when they did it last time. Well, that's a well, that's the point. You screw somebody in business one time, they got to be really stupid to bend over and take it the second time. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, you can make all the promises you want, but if you don't keep them the first time around, when you come back asking me to do the same thing again, I'm yeah. going to give you the finger. Right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. No. When money's involved, things get real. Uh, things get real objective. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, yeah. This. I, I don't know where this goes, Carl. Man, I I don't have any idea where this goes. It it's it doesn't look like it's going anywhere good. Well, I mean, my, you, you see my, governments my all concern, over the world doing yeah. the most stupid possible things and people getting pissed off about it. But, I mean, people have been pretty well behaved so far. Well, let me let, let me just put one thing out there for you. You know, China's made a lot of noise about we're going to take Taiwan back. Yes. By force if yeah. we have to. Yeah. Okay. They've made quite clear how they feel about this. Okay, TSMC is in Taiwan. TSMC is now going to build a factory here in the United States. It will take five to 10 years to get that plant online. That's just how long it takes. There's nothing you can do. It's an enormous undertaking. If there is a military action there and that supply line gets cut off you can kiss goodbye access to 
any electronics that you want to have here in the United States until that factory can be built. Right. Because without that plant, without that supply, you get nothing. I can't buy, right now, I can't buy an aftermarket Pioneer car stereo for my car because there are chips that come from that factory that go into there and there aren't any. And multiply that scenario over the whole economy. Oh, it's everything. And, and Your refrigerator got, oh, has chips in it. Sure. Now, right. th- and this is a direct result of uh, perturbations that we did not foresee the consequences of. Uh, but, but from a political standpoint, let's say China does threaten Taiwan. They, like you said, they've always, they've never, never hidden their intentions to take Taiwan back. They wanted to do it for a long time. Putin would very much like to have the Ukraine back, now wouldn't he? What do you suppose the Biden administration is capable of doing to prevent China from taking back Taiwan? What do you suppose the Biden administration is willing to do? Well, take back Taiwan. I, you know, this, this is this is the basic problem. It, when you get down to it, um, militarily, there's nothing we can do other than nuke Beijing. Right. Which we're not right? going to do because which we're people, no, people right. don't nuke their number one trading partner. Now, do they? Well, but even if you did, they nuke us. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're capable so, of doing that. Nobody wants to, you know. Right. A parking lot out of Beijing. You just you you know, it, that's not going to happen. That's not even an option. So no, what are we going to so, do? We're right. not going to do a damn thing, are we? Um, We're going to stand here and watch China take back Taiwan. Well, I know what you could do. You could set their bond holdings on fire. Literally. Mm-hmm. Have a have a bonfire on a White Horse lawn. Right. Okay, now whether that would destabilize their financial system enough to blow them up, nobody knows. But it might, and you could embargo their ability to transact in dollars because everything has to go through Fedwire. That's easy. That's fast, and you don't have to shoot a, a single round out of a single piece of weaponry. But However, will they do it? No. Biden won't do it, won't and do I don't it. think Trump would have done it. But it's, but it is. Re- remember, we we used to be all scared that between us and the Russians, we were going to nuke each other into ash, right? Because mm-hmm. you know we never knew how crazy the other side really was. Reagan, in what had to be the masterful stroke of his presidency intentionally on a hot mic said i've just signed the law that eliminates the soviet union the bombing starts in five minutes right now that was picked up and and he was bsing obviously <laughs> he was. But, but but if they the knew <laughs> all doubt was removed from their minds that it had been thought about well but here's the thing is he crazy <laughs> enough is he crazy to enough to do, do it that? Are you sure he's not? Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. Well, 
if you know anything about the Strategic Air Command, <laughs> yep, they are uh, they're an interesting group of people. <laughs> they were a very interesting group of people, and they uh, were capable of doing that. And uh, uh, I, but we don't have the equivalent of the Strategic Air Command anymore. We have a military system that is much, much more concerned with making sure that pregnant fighter pilots have proper fitting clothing. You know, we're much more concerned about transgender military members getting corrective surgery. And, you know, this this sort of thing, Mark Milley uh, has, has said out loud that the number one priority of the U.S. military is stomping out white supremacy. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, this, we're not capable of doing anything about Taiwan if anything no. takes place. We can't even keep our ships from running into each other out by Hawaii. I, I was going to point that out. I, it, it, nobody knows how to drive the boat anymore, you know? Yeah. That, uh, well, that's it, because we promote people on political basis. That's right. You know, we haven't actually had to fight and had one of our ships go to the bottom of the ocean with 1,500 people on it in in what 50 years 60 years oh it's since world war ii so that's well yeah but i'm sorry but you know but that's what happens yes right Right. yeah right and and we're we're not we don't have the stomach for the for a war an actual war you know i mean how many people have died in afghanistan over the past 20 years yeah but it's all one or two at a time yeah one or two at a time you know when when the numbers when I was a kid, I, you don't remember this. I'm older than you are, but when I mean, you watch the news on Friday, and you saw the weekly death toll from Vietnam. It was oh yes, four, I do remember that four or five hundred every week. Yep. yep, kids getting killed in 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 the mud in Vietnam for no apparent reason. And if, yeah, you know, I was a child, but I remember it. And Walter was, uh, Cronkite on, the, yes. on CBS. On yep. CBS, and we he would tell us, you know, and, you know, he didn't like it. He made it obvious that he didn't like it. And, uh, you know, this is kind of the beginning of the media uh, involvement in U.S. military policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, though, we're not, we're not in a position as a society to do anything about China taking back Taiwan. We we do absolutely nothing about it. We, uh, I don't think this administration uh, is going to do anything to limit China economically. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of a uh, lot of examples of Joe Biden being on the payroll over there. Oh, you know? uh, well, and his son. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody that's been paying any attention knows that Joe Biden is not going to do anything nasty to China. Yep. And if they want to take back Taiwan, what would what is going to keep them from doing that? The I, only th- I, the only thing that might is not the United States. But they do ultimately have a problem with their neighbor to the north. Yes. And Vlad doesn't play nice when he gets pissed off. No, now, he's a man of resolve. There is no doubt about but, that. Right. 
And there is a fundamental problem there, too, in that his military is outnumbered 10 to 1. So anything right. that starts between the two of them ends up going bang really fast. Because there's no other way for them to handle it. That Right. He's got no other options. No, he so, doesn't. And they're neighbors, like it or not. They so, share a very, very big border, yes. And, yes, and, and they both have energy interdependencies. So there's there is an issue with Nord Stream that's coming into this. There's an issue with Afghanistan and China's desire to have that as a corridor, which they've now got because we walked away from it and now the Taliban owns it. Mm-hmm. You can bet everything we left there has been given to them to be reverse engineered. Whatever they didn't already have, they have it now. And how that's all going to play out, nobody really knows. But my my guess is the only real barrier to them doing something stupid is Russia and potentially the European bloc. Maybe. I, I don't. Uh, the Europeans are just. They are spineless well, invertebrate but, worms at this point. I, they're not going to do anything. You're right, either. but. But here's the here's where they're connected. They're connected to Putin because of the gas supply. Mm-hmm. That's so. There is an economic angle to this where a great deal of pressure can be can be laid, but it won't come from us. No. Right. No. You know, it occur a couple of things occur to me. Uh, let's see what you think about this. It seems to me as though a United States-Russia alliance would be a very constructive thing. Yeah. You know, I, I think we've got more in common than we do with the Chinese, culturally and everything else. I mean, if, if we could just bury the hatchet with Putin and start acting— in our own best interest with respect to Russia as an ally, then a whole lot of positive things could be accomplished. But the media has spent the past five years telling us that, you know, Russian collusion with the Trump administration was was a bad thing. And, uh, you know, Russians are evil and all this other shit. And uh, so that's, that's not likely to happen anytime soon because of the 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 distaste that everyone has now in their mouth about Russia, uh, th- despite the fact that was all bullshit. But it seems to me as though that would be a, a, a important development if it was allowed to take place. Now, here on a on a less strategic scale, here's another another thing. All right, what would happen if China? came into Afghanistan, rounded up all of the Americans who remain in the country through the incompetence of the Biden administration, rounded up all of the uh, Afghan collaborators that we worked with for 20 years, right. put them all on transport planes, and evacuated them to a neutral location. Do you know what... I, I mean, think about the friends China would make with that yep. relatively easy operation. 
think about well, the PR see, victory that that would that would create, and and what would that do to the world's perception of China? I don't I'll, t- know I'll tell you where that could be. The danger over. of them doing something like that is they could fly those people into Australia, which there already is a geopolitical thing going on there between China and Australia. Right. In the in the try to tie them together aspect. Right. Right. They would get an immense amount of PR with the Australian people and the Australian government doing that. Yes. They probably get some with New Zealand because they're essentially neighbors. And they'd get to kick Biden in the face. Absolutely. All at the same time. All at the same time for not a hell of, for not a hell of a lot of money. Well, what's you know? what's that cost? Twenty or thirty thousand gallons of jet fuel? Yeah. You know, it, 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 they, they would have a billion invested in the whole damn operation. Tops. You know, uh, maybe yeah. a billion, yeah. and and to make that kind of a PR uh, strike, that we would never overcome that. We would that would remove the United States as a superpower if that took place. Well, it it would probably. That it would also swing Britain. It. it would swing France. France is already pissed off at us because we did that thing with the subs. Right. Okay. Right. So you're going to get a huge block of the Europeans that are going to shift on that too. Yes. That's yeah. That's a problem. Well, it would be a that would be a stroke of genius uh, if the Chinese did that. It it really would be that would be. A, insurmountable PR victory. All they'd, all they'd have to do is get the Taliban to stand down for two weeks. Which they could do by killing 10% of them. Well, they could just and they don't and mind say, doing that, you know. Well, that, well, you just all you do is just say, look, how many of you want to die? All right. We've got the capacity to come <laughs> in here and kill every one of you motherfuckers. Yeah, right? if we want so to, here's yeah. what you're going to do, all right? right? If you don't want us to do that, you're going to leave us alone for about two weeks, and we're going to get a big problem out of your way. And then you yeah, can do whatever just, you want to do. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then guess what? Then the world can't do jack to you because we'll protect that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, you know, people listening to this podcast in China, you're welcome. Okay. <laughs> Yes, sir. Well, Carl, God almighty, I think we may have exceeded the attention span of most of the people in the audience. Uh, but I'd love to be able to talk to you again if I could bother you in the future when I need to check in with you from time to time. I respect Anytime. your work very much, and uh, you're an invaluable resource. And uh, I appreciate your agreeing to come on the our little podcast here. Give us, again... Uh, the website uh, URL so people can get a hold of you. It's market-ticker.org. And then there's on the right-hand side of the page, there's a thing that says, click here for what the media doesn't want you to read. And that takes you to the, you the other page. Right. That's the NAD one, right? Right. So uh, you guys, uh, if you want to know what the hell's really going on, Put that website on your toolbar and check in every day and let Carl share with you some extremely important things. It'll, it'll change your worldview uh, and expand the amount of information that you've got. And 
again. Carl, thank you very much for coming on with us today. We sure do appreciate it. And we will see you guys next Friday here on Starting Strength Radio.